I'm Andrew Sherman. I'm a Texas transplant who has always been in pursuit of art as a career. I've played in bands, pursued an acting career in Hollywood, but I found it behind the lens of a camera here in Dallas, Texas. I was born in New York, I've lived in Chicago, Los Angeles, Austin, but I love Dallas. There's a magical artistic scene in Dallas that mostly goes unnoticed to the outside world. This podcast is focused on what makes it so special and the people who make it thrive artistically. If you don't live here, and even if you do, you might not have heard of them. This is the Dallas Famous Podcast. So who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all grown up? Who you gonna be? Who you gonna be when you're all for us? Yeah, who you gonna Today's guest is Salim Nerala. I've been a big fan of Salim's music and his approach to his music career since I met him. With over 30 albums, Salim is a fantastic songwriter and producer here in Dallas. Salim has built a truly DIY musical life. He's crowdfunded a bunch of his albums and he can adjust his lineup for each show. He can play with one of his full band setups or go solo with just him and Mr. Boombox. Salim has a lot of music and projects in the works, so check out the links after the show. But first, sit back and enjoy my chat with Salim Nerala. Dallas Famous Podcast. I'm sitting at uh, World Headquarters, Galactic. Galactic. Galactic, Galactic headquarters. headquarters, yes, with Salim Nerala. Yeah. Um, you might know that name because at the end of every episode I say it because <laughs> it's his song, Unstoppable is the theme song. So here he is, finally. On In the, the flesh. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so I start all these out with, but I already know, so I'm just going to say it. You're from El Paso. Yes, what, I am. Tell me about how you got to Dallas. How did I get to Dallas? It, well, it... it the funny thing is that at the time, my brother Ferris, who I used to play music with, and I play, played, were playing music with Bobby Schneider, mm. who later became Bob Schneider. Okay. At the time, everybody called him Bobby. And Ferris and Bob were dating sisters, uh, the Clapp sisters. That was their actual last name. And Ferris's girlfriend, Gretchen, knew that we were looking for band members and that her, her, I think it was her older sister, yeah, her boyfriend, kind of boyfriend, was Bobby. And they kind of connected us and we started jamming and we even had a band name. We never played any gigs, but we were the Crying Dimes, but Dimes, we replaced the I with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> and I was playing guitar and singing and writing the songs, and, and Bobby was on the keyboards, and Ferris was playing drums. And he, I'll just call him Bob. It's weird calling him Bobby now, but uh, he was hard to pin down he drove this old yellow mail truck that was hilarious it could only go like it was it was an old u.s postal service mail truck that he'd painted yellow and it was always breaking down and it it could it would only drive like 30 miles an hour and the last time i saw the mail truck it was abandoned in that there used to be a strip on mesa street uh, before shadow mountain it's all built up now, but when we were younger, it was it was pretty much desert and some apartment complexes. And Bob lived in one of these horrible apartments. And the last time I saw the mail truck, it was just 
off to the side of the road in the desert, <laughs> sort of abandoned. But he wanted to relocate to Austin because he felt like playing music there would be better, and he was right. And he went back to Germany over the summer. I think it was the summer of 87 or 88. I think it was 80. I don't know. I don't know what year. It was 87 or 88. It's a long time ago, mm-hmm. folks. <laughs> and uh, over the course of him being gone, I got the brilliant idea that we should go to Denton instead. But I also think now that I'm talking about it, it was really because our father wasn't down with us going to Austin. He he was a Syrian immigrant, as many people who know about me know this, but he he was super paranoid about American culture and drugs and sex and all the bad things. Mm. And and I think when we had told him we wanted to go to Austin, he he erupted. He's like Austin is full of junkies and druggies and and hippies and uh, so Denton was something that he was cooler with because he was he was basically funding college well so sure. that we could con- continue to be in a band but not have to work jobs that was my whole angle is well if Dad's funding college and I don't have to get a job but I, but the job will be the band Bob wasn't in the same situation. Yeah. So he came back from Germany and I just said, Hey, we're we're gonna go to Denton and rot in obscurity for a while. <laughs> and he so he went to Austin on his own and the rest is history and, and of course for us too, the rest is history. But Bob and I have kept in touch over the years and well, I was just talking to him yesterday because I'd listened to his conversation with Rhett Miller on Rhett's podcast. And Mm -hmm. it it was a great conversation and interesting for me because these are two guys I've known for a long time, but they're, they've never intersected really in my life. So it's like Bob is in one quadrant and Rhett is in another and they're never together. So as their friend, uh, it was really interesting to, to hear them, speak sure. with each other yeah and uh so i called bob yesterday to talk about that and we had a brief kind of moment which is nice where we were thinking oh, you know i'll bet the kids that we were would be pretty pretty proud of us and shocked that a we're still talking to each other all these years later and we're still friends but also that we're both still do playing music living yeah. the dream pretty much like neither one of us ever had to get a job for pizza hut or or state farm or sure you know we're still doing it yeah. and so it was a nice kind of moment to be to acknowledge those kids and be yeah yeah still yeah. still at it absolutely let me ask you when you got to denton what was what was it like at that time that didn't was pretty horrible, actually. We yeah. for us because we didn't fit in. It was it was very jam band centric at the time, huh. and it we were influenced by a lot of at the, at that time very heavily influenced by a lot of UK guitar bands. Even though we loved the Church, 
which was an Australian guitar band, but we we loved the Chameleons and the Mission UK and the Church and even though Beatles and punk post punk was in the foundation we were still trying to find ourselves and who we were and at, at that time that phase was was growing our hair out getting our ears pierced kind of the image we thought we were kind of like the a, a mashup of the mission and the church but texas texans interpreted it as well there must be like led zeppelin or something but we hmm. didn't really have anything to do with led zeppelin that wasn't really our trip but so we were oddballs in in denton a bit because it was it, it felt like every band at the time had a bongo player <laughs> <laughs> or a percussionist you uh, know okay and we were like we had a fog machine <laughs> our fog machine was our was the equivalent of the bongo player. Okay, I see. Uh, yeah, and everybody I, was smoking dope too, and we weren't really like we were pretty. I was pretty straight edge back then. Like I didn't drink and was really opposed to drugs. I'd had this thing like you know I'm gonna be an example uh-huh. for the kids. You know, of like you don't you don't have to be like a um a messed up rock and roller. You know. Sure. So yeah. I, 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 sent, I, I, I softened my stance over the years, but at the time I was like a pretty, pretty straight edge. I could character. see if everyone around you is doing that, it would, it would make sense. Yeah. You would see some kind of. It allowed me to go on like twenty, something year old, earnest young man rants about uh-huh. the, you know, all the, the dope smoking, bongo playing, jam bands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get emails from dope smoking bongo players. I can feel it. Yeah. Actually, but well, that, they can send them to the old me. Yeah. Like, okay. The, the they past. can send to 21 year olds, right. Salim Nirala, not so, current. So how did you, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go fast cause your history is out there, but how did you get to Dallas from Denton? That's a long convoluted story, but, <laughs> but basically I became the classic, uh, there's, I think there's a joke, something about, a bass player, the bass player living with the girlfriend. What's it? Do you know that joke? It's a very common joke. Oh, sorry, I'm blowing it. What do you call a but, single? No, bass player that breaks up with his girlfriend, right, homeless. homeless. Right, right, right. So, so that would have been me. So I met my college girlfriend and moved in with her. And once I finally made my, I took my sweet time going through UNT because because I knew the checks were going to stop from dad <laughs> once but we were we were also we had um we had kind of gotten discovered by I know this story is out there too but I can tell it quickly by Bucks Burnett had a had a record store and didn't 14 records which now he has on Garland Road and I used to go into 14 records all the time and buy stuff and one one afternoon he he took notice of me and said oh you look like you're in a band and i you know puffed up my chest proudly yeah of course yes i am he asked for our demo tape and it ended up leading to us getting signed by an indie label called dragon street records so dragon street records started tim delauder's career because they signed tripping daisy amongst others like they had they had a whole 
roster. There was another great band from Waco called The Spin that they had. John Kenny is still playing music. He's in Epic Unplugged with Philip from the old 97s. So we've been friends a long time too. But basically, once Dragon Street came in, we started getting gigs and we... It was the beginning of the, I'm using air quotes here, Mm -hmm. professional career. Uh, We were able to, it it was like a part-time job kind of. So I followed the girlfriend to Plano after college. So I was in the horrible Frankfurt Road tollway area, mm -hmm. you know, there. And then... When we broke up, I ended up with my younger brother in Arlington, which was truly a low point of my life. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know how I made it out of that dark period. Uh, and then it, Ferris actually found this property, which the studio sits on, which is next door to where we're sitting here today in Galactic, what became Pleasantry Lane, basically at the time it was the late 90s, so you could buy properties super cheap. It was only $75,000, if you can believe it. And uh, we had a small down payment, very small, that our dad helped us with. Thank you, dad. And uh, that's what ended up pulling me finally to Dallas. And that's really the beginning for me because mm-hmm. all of the floating around the Metroplex was a nightmare. I hated it. Just didn't really make any of the lifelong friends, that the friends for life mm-hmm. that I ended up making. There are a couple. There are a couple like bucks that are, that are still there. And um, sorry to anybody I'm missing here. Oh, yeah. Tommy Roberts, who runs Tone Shop, who was in the Moon Festival with us. He was a Denton friend. And actually, now I'm thinking of all my Denton friends. Ricky <laughs> Derrick, Ken Bethay. Yeah, so yeah. anyway. Okay. Yeah, that's, so, that's as quickly as I can tell that, Andrew. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Not yeah. bad. Yeah. No, we, I, I think mean, it was under five minutes. It was definitely under five minutes. And I mean, I just always feel the need to bring it back to Dallas. But the truth is, is you know, the whole Metroplex is, you know, is kind of Dallas if you leave the area, you know. The Metroplex is massive and overwhelming, especially to people coming from places like El Paso. Uh, I still consider myself to be a, a small town person. Mm. And what I like about Dallas proper, this part, the old part of Dallas, is that it is kind of like a small town because you can stay in a five minute radius, 10 minutes max. It's like our comfy little mm-hmm. cocoon and you don't have to go out to every now and then if you want to get wild and go to Ikea, you can, you know, see Ikea. how the other half lives That's or go to Frisco away. or That's whatever. Way too far away. Basically I stay within this sort of, yeah. uh, certain radius and most of the people that I know and hang out with and, are in this and and these are a lot of people that are supporting the art and music community and sure it's so it's it is almost like a small town vibe within a massive city okay so i see that's the way i look at it like lakewood and right yeah i'm in junius yeah it's that's the 
nucleus. But I see a, a transition here. So small town boy in, in the big city. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to skip way ahead. So you're, you have a very interesting career, at least the part of it that I've witnessed. And, and I'll say that in the, the sense that you've crowdsourced a lot of albums, Yeah. which is really cool because one, it's something a lot of bands try to do and don't succeed. And I think, I think it speaks to a, the, pe- the people that like your music, love your music. I'm one of those people, but also, Thanks. you know, it is, it's like my friends for a life vibe. It's like you're friends with these people. You, you do house shows probably as much as you do other kinds of shows these yeah. days. So let's, let's dig into how that kind of started. Well, so many fortunate things have happened over the course of me playing music and i don't mean that for me i'm thinking about like the big picture the it started one of the biggest things was when i was playing music in the 90s the only way you could record yourself was to get a major label deal the only people that could afford recording studios were cats like bob dylan or tom petty or the the rich and famous Mm -hmm. so the biggest first change in this sort of revolution a lot of people like to talk about how the record industries crumbled, but the crumbling actually really benefited indie musicians and independent artists. So my recording studio was a great example of that. Computer recording allowed us to, to like if that had never happened, I probably wouldn't be sitting here and I wouldn't have all these records. So that was number one, but then there were other things that started happening like the house concert thing was not a thing in 2000 Mm -hmm. at some point this like i wish i could remember my first house concert like if i if if i had more time i could but i'd go back i keep track of all my gigs and word documents over the years but i'm guessing it was sometime in around 2004 or five and it it was just this generation i guess our generation of of music fans starting to do this weird thing having artists play in their living rooms and so that was incredible and and really something that benefited me immensely because I ultimately I'm just looking for a connection at the bottom of everything I'm doing. I just, I think music is a conversation and it's a conversation not to be had in massive arenas, but it's a, it's a conversation I want to have in small rooms with a small group of like-minded people or people that are interested in, in connection, Mm -hmm. you know, that connection. And then uh, so then it was house concerts, but then the, f- the crowdfunding thing, my first memory of that was my friend Alex Deason telling me he's in a band from New York City called the Damwells, and he was doing it. And he hipped me to pledge music and in it introduced me to Benji, the guy who had, who had originally started Pledge. So my, my first crowdfunding experiences was with my hit hit parade record that was like 2010 mm-hmm. so i think it was high, house concerts before the crowd funding and then the crowd funding just seemed like a beautiful extension 
of of all of all of the ways that in a basically a 10 year period in just a decade all of these things that artists could have never imagined doing and they couldn't do it was like major label or or nothing mm-hmm. you're you're tied to a, re- a record label or you're screwed it's like now we're funding our own records we have direct communication to people who are interested in our music we're playing um intimate venues where you don't have to deal with the the booking agent and the and the owner it's like totally grassroots mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people in the music industry ultimately the 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 powerful people don't really dig it why would they they can't get it why would they it. they can't yeah. get any action yeah yeah and there i even saw that too you know there are there are people like club owners some that you know they don't they don't they don't want that nonsense going on right so but i love it i love it it's very punk rock actually yeah and what's what's cool about your music and i mean i used to sing and play and and i had the experience of playing with full bands and and acoustic and it's like you just connect with people so much more on a on a a level and you know i guess there's this part of your brain that's like i want a million people to be listening to it but you can't connect with a million people at once at all you know yeah maybe they can pay for the record but you don't even need that so it's kind of cool what you've created. I mean, it's pretty unique. I don't know that a lot of people could recreate it in any way, but it, it was it was just the perfect circumstances. Like all of it, was, the world changed in these ways, and they happened to benefit me in 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 those. And I've seen other people that that it, it benefited as well. Other artists, sure, sure. So. I just. Again, I just keep coming back to how it's you have a unique career. It's like you've had different bands, you play solo. I mean, when did Mr. Boombox come into the picture? Well, the Boombox very specifically came out of a trip to New York City that I took to play with Rhett Miller. I opened for Rhett Miller at City Winery, and it was me, solo acoustic, at this point, I'd been all over Europe, solo acoustic. I was on a German record label, and and I I thought I was okay at 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 doing that trip, but uh, I was in a situation with like three hundred ish loud New Yorkers having dinner at long tables, and their volume was like a jet hmm. airplane, you know, engine, jet engine. And they just drowned me out. And I went back to Texas kind of like, that's never, I'm never going to let that happen again. I've mm-hmm. got to come up with like something to where I can play these solo shows as an opening act. And because cause my ultimate goal isn't to like win the audience over. It's like, I just want to have fun and enjoy and be in the moment and be present and enjoy the music and i can't do that if i can't even hear over like there's just all this chatter and all that so eventually I, I knew i didn't want to do a looping thing there were lots of people i'd seen that were doing looping stuff like joseph arthur at the time and liam finn and and i i landed on this boombox idea because it was dangerous it was weird I hadn't, couldn't really think of anybody who'd actually done it. You know, people mentioned David Byrne and Stop Making Sense, but it was just a visual prop. He wasn't mm-hmm. actually 
performing with a boombox or doing it. It was just in I the movie. I can think of one. Timbuk three. Yeah, they actually did. Yeah. Then you're correct. Uh, and but they're pleasantly Texas and obscure. Mm-hmm. So I also the timing was perfect too because I'd made a record called Skeleton Closet, and I'd done it. I did a couple shows with my band, and it just didn't feel right. It it the record was jagged and weird and and it wasn't. It didn't translate mm. with the band, but it that. really translated with the boombox. And because then I got all the weird textures and drum. I used a lot of Optagon drum loops and things. And it just, there's something about canned beats that really works with the, 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 uh, the boombox. So the next time I went out with Rhett, just to and play had a city winery situation i had this new boombox shtick and it it was it was pretty incredible because it stopped a lot of people sort of dead in their tracks Mm -hmm. but it also allowed me to have fun and not get not sweat the anybody who was talking because i think it's important too we're ultimately in the job of entertainment even if we are songwriters or think we're whatever, it's like when you're when you put yourself on a stage, you're there to to entertain somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think the boombox ended up accidentally becoming a way for me to have fun and 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 be enter- not only entertain myself but entertain yeah. other people. Well, and it kind of fits the retro feel of your music anyway. Yeah, and it's it's perfect. It's fun. You're you're also in kind of your own, I wouldn't call it a bubble, but you're in your own like corner of the Dallas music scene. But can you give me your impression of that? Because this is sort of our, one of the journeys I'm on with this podcast is kind of putting pieces together of that. Yeah. Well, one thing I really like about Dallas is, and I've always liked it, I've always been proud of our music scene, is that it's eclectic. Mm-hmm. Dallas is cosmopolitan. It's not, it's not, Obviously, when a lot of people in other places think of Texas, they think about cowboys and country music and Texas country. And and I really like that Dallas has allowed many artists that don't necessarily have anything to do with Texas, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Like, the we've had successful artists that do like Stevie Ray Vaughan or the old 97s and plenty of that from Dallas. But for me, I, I was a kid that loved the Beatles and then the replacements and bands like the church. And, and I wasn't coming from any sort of, background that really tied into being a Texan. So uh, this it's it's I think that's why I've been in my own little bubble. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. Because it's people have found me either through found me as a producer either through my work with the old 97s which definitely allowed me to to reach more people. But the other people, there's a cast of misfits in a way that have also found me because 
I'm a bit of a misfit. Like ultimately, like I don't, I don't think the things I'm into were necessarily the, the you know, the things that you would say the masses were into, or mm-hmm. you know, when here. I was younger. Yeah, here. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. It's cool too. I mean, from that you have, I mean, I brought a lot of different types of acts, uh, artists here. You know, I've seen a couple of cool shows here in this room. Uh, Marty Piper on New Year's was a cool one. I mean, like, yeah. What's that like working with one of the people that you were really into for a while? You know, uh, it it's been a trip. It's been great, <laughs> but it just it's just like everything. I I think their friendships develop and then if you're really enjoying being around someone and and a friendship is sort of starting out then you then you music is a great way to be well let's play a gig together let's write a song together let's make a record together all the things it's 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 so much fun and i think that's the thing not to go dark with this but that really hit me in 2020 when when the the covid thing happened and the pandemic was how much of my life actually revolves around all of these wonderful friends that i'm used to seeing making music with and having fun and that would that all of that was just erased. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in a in a in a phase right now where I want to see all my friends. I want to do all of the things. Mm-hmm. I I was kind of out for over two years, probably two and a half years. That that whole pandemic took me out, and so now I feel like. Godzilla monster robot Jesus like I just want to like I want to you know I'm descending on Tokyo and I'm going to <laughs> this might be a bad analogy but yeah like, give me every gig I want to see every friend I want yeah. to go a- anywhere I've seen your name pop up on a bunch of shows I was like okay cool you're you're getting out there it's great I'm gonna try to make some of those yeah um let me let's just maybe cite. I mean, we're going all. Diff- there's nothing linear about this interview, which is fine. But um, let's talk a little bit how you got into producing. Um, you know, in the first place. Well, I I guess I always wanted to be a producer because as a when I first started listening to music as a kid, I had all these uh, strange opinions about the way records sounded, and I actually loved the Beatles' White Album because of the production, not just the songs, but I loved and still love the way it was recorded Mm -hmm. and i would i started resequencing certain records i'd be frustrated like who sequenced this record i and i i would make my own cassette tapes of with it okay i fixed it now you know and and i even i remember like an elvis costello record i didn't like the mix and i thought i would run it through this little analog delay pedal i had and I was going to make it better. <laughs> so my mom, before she passed away in 2019, she uh, she found this manifesto that I'd made. And number one was to be, to be 
a musician, but also a producer to help other people with their music. Huh. And then number two was like, n- to not be famous in all caps. Huh. Which is funny to me, because with my name, that was never going to happen. <laughs> so that, that kid was sort of seriously misguided. Uh, Nobody with this name was ever, was ever going to be famous. Uh, maybe not in America. In America, especially. <laughs> yeah. Wrong time, wrong place. Yeah. In general. Wrong name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you have, you know, overcome a lot of, I mean, it's almost like you're, you're, successful in spite of that i mean like I, I get it i get i get that you are not someone who is doing this for fame for uh pats on the back you just really love doing it you know that yeah and i love production i love helping other people with the, their music and i love all the friends that have come into my life through production like every time someone walks through the door of pleasantry lane i think well, this might be my next good friend. Mm-hmm. And just even recently, I've made some new good friends. So I, it's an incredible job in that respect. Like, who gets to to do that? Well, it's you are kind of making people's dreams come true in some sort of way every time you put a song down for like with someone well, in a way. You thanks. Know? Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's like there's people that have had this thing rattle around their head and and as a producer, you're you're giving it that extra spice that makes it come alive, and that's invaluable. It yeah, but it's also it takes their trust. The trust that they give you is incredible. It's almost like what I I don't know what it feels like to be a therapist, but I feel like people come in and they're all they've already decided to trust me with this thing that's very precious to them. And I think it's great. It's great because it's better than being a therapist because therapists can't be friends with, with mm-hmm. the people that come in. That's They've right. got to keep it all busy. I can be, be their friend. Mm-hmm. And usually we end up being friends. So are you still taking like new clients or is it mostly referral? Yeah, I do, but I don't, it's the same as it's always been. I don't advertise. You can't find my recording studio in the yeah. I have yellow to ask pages. You the address every time I come here. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta save it. It's all word of mouth because I I have this really hippy dippy kind of belief that people, the right people, will find me if it's through a friend or someone who, and and it's worked all these years. Mm-hmm. Usually, when someone rings me up or email, now it's email or text or whatever. And they end up coming in and, and doing something, it it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we yeah. were supposed to. You're not going to take everybody that calls you, obviously. Uh, no, I usually do. They don't always, it's not always like a friends for life situation, but sure. it's just like life, you connect more with certain people than others. But right. usually, I just, I believe They've found me for a reason. They found out. Now it's in us because it's also John Dufalo, Kevin Brown. We have a team at oh. the studio. Oh, I didn't realize that's awesome. Yeah, so I'm I'm mainly producing. Like Dufalo is doing a lot of the engineering daily. Like he's next door engineering right now mm-hmm. and and producing. So that's been another incredible thing is is to 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 have a team at the studio really good team let me ask you something like kind of technical so like you've been you were setting up amps and mics for years and now you got somebody else in there maybe he's engineering your session are you 
having him to see you trust him to do that is that that's something absolutely okay yeah. yeah yeah i don't mean him specifically i mean like I, as just a general question like these these things like you have a certain way you have a, a drum mic'd i mean you we have the drums that? mic'd up all the time which saves time and money okay. for a lot of people but yeah i think we all have a similar aesthetic that we're mm-hmm. going for because we're friends and john's one of my best friends and and yeah, it's 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 great because also engineer brain is different than producer brain. It's really it was really hard all the years I was engineering, and also producing because sometimes I was playing too. I'd be sitting in the chair with a bass or a guitar and playing stuff. So I'm engineering, I'm performing. I it was a bit uh, like like the, the hours that I was putting in. It it was it was a lot. So. I'm really enjoying my the later period now of my life where I can kind of I can sit on the couch and pretty sit, engineer vocal sessions every now and then or lightly but but basically be in and out whenever I want and be, and and concentrate on other things mm-hmm. not always be in the chair right the that's, engineering chair I, that's what I'm looking for anyone wants to engineer yeah. a podcast hit me up uh, um so are you are you putting together any bands? Are you just doing solo stuff? Well, Paul Slavens and I have been doing this Travolta's duo thing, and we have a show July fifteenth at the Bathhouse over over near White Rock. At the Bathhouse, yeah. There's a no, black know, box I, theater I, in oh, the Bathhouse. There's, bath a, house. there's yeah. a theater in there. Yeah, it's a great theater, and so we're doing that. And we've also recorded. They're like like vocal and piano versions of a lot of the Travolta songs, some really fun, different arrangements. And and if the right gig comes along, if anyone listening out there has a bunch of money, you want to give the Travoltas to reunite, I would love to reunite the Travoltas, but it really does have to be the right situation. Sure. And then there are going to be, my solo band has been called the Tree Fort Five, now Marty Wilson Piper has kind of augmented the band. I feel like we need a new band name. Mm-hmm. Feel free to send me emails or text messages with new band names. Because Marty being in the band now is a different thing. But Marty is going to join us for the, the Nuclear Winter album release show at Sons of Herman nice. on June 24th. And then we're also doing we're playing Austin and San Antonio. And so that'll be the first band shows. And I'd, lo- I'd love to do more. I'd love to play band shows with the old 97s. We, 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 we were part of the 30th year anniversary show in Dallas. I'd love to get out of Texas with the band, but it, it really would have to do with playing with a bigger band. Sure. So it would really have to be, do with, because we just don't have, you know, the the power to to go sure. 
because it's so expensive. It's just so yeah. expensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, there's not going to sell enough merch. That's why I tour solo. That's why the boombox has been incredible. Yeah, that's I a can, lot of your decisions, like, with shows, like, are specific to, like, what the what the venue is and maybe the budget and all that yeah. comes into play. That's cool, though, because, you you know, you solved this early on where you're like, I can play. I can always play. It doesn't matter what the situation There's is. There's, like, seven different formats I can play in. Yeah. In, including, like, I love, I love the duo thing i love but the duo thing with paul slavens is completely different than duo with joe reyes Uh and then i've done duo shows with chris holt i've done duo shows with paul averett there's the solo acoustic shows there's the boombox shows then there's the the different band and then i'm in a super group of sorts called nhd which is Nerala harvey d's and it's me billy harvey and alex d's oh yeah and we made a record in 2017 and toured a little bit. We're we're going out again together in September. Okay. So we're doing like a Texas tour in September and hopefully making another record. So that's yet another uh, another thing. You are you like know? a machine over here. Do you um, have any records you produced that you're not actually like that aren't yours that are coming out that you're? Well, the well, the big record we're working on right now is from Artie. It's called "I'm a Really Big Fan of Your Old Stuff," <laughs> and it's Great I've he's allowed me to curate this list of their songs from his solo back catalog, but it, as well as his songs in the church, like mm-hmm. "Spark" and "Russian Autumn Heart," because mm-hmm. Marty Marty had like one song an album that he would sing. And most most of his songs were really because he only had one an album in the band. They're all really strong, mm-hmm. so that's been tons of fun. And he's coming back this coming weekend for two more months, and we're hoping to finish that album. So that's the big album. And then I also have a, a project with Paul Avery and Chris Holt that I love, which is called A Break in the Battle. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, we've done two records of solo, uh, of acoustic covers, but it's a few well-known songs like Back on the Chain Gang, but then also super obscure songs where I'm really trying to hip people that are interested in our music to like, hey, have you, you know, have you heard Prefab Sprout, for example, or... So that's been a labor of love project, and also I, I just love making music with these guys. So we, I'm excited because we've started breaking the battle three. Mm-hmm. Nice. So and do, you, do you know how many how many albums you have? I don't really. Yeah. I th- I think when we were putting together the the bio for a nuclear winner, I did. Ha- I was asked to figure it out, and I think with. I think with all the side projects, because I'm also in a, in, a, in a side project I'm really proud of called The Disappearing Act. Have you heard of The Disappearing Mm-mm, Act? No. It's with a childhood friend of mine from El Paso, Bob Blumenfeld. And we've done two albums, and we're actually about to finish our third album and an EP. And John Dufalo is now in The Disappearing Act. So I think with all of, all of the stuff, Travolta's, and it, it's, it's over 30. It's... It might be like around thirty-five or something. Uh, or, is, it, it, 
yeah, like the world doesn't need any more music from me. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, like, well, we've reached if we wanna, the quota. If we want to back up. What does the world really need anyway? <laughs> yeah, know? that's true. Well, I mean, I want to end it on this. Maybe uh, it's the world needs more love, and it seems like love is a predominant theme in your songs. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I have a song called Montreal that's that's still a favorite of people's, and and I guess love is the reason is the is the conclusion of that song which i know is is not something that hasn't been said by many other people but to me it is it's at the center of well why do i play in nhd and because i love these guys and why do and all I, i it's just been an incredible life really full of lots of friends and lots of love and and the people that have come out and come to shows and send me beautiful birthday messages like yesterday i was just overwhelmed by all of oh, right. the Happy love birthday. Yeah. Just, well thank you but just uh, well you you were one of them i no? think you were, yeah so it uh yeah i just incredibly fortunate and and i I'm so glad that I've also had a normal life. Like I like have not had to deal with all the bullshit that, that people, you know, on much bigger levels have to, to deal with. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, I wouldn't trade this for anything. It's like a perfect, like right in the middle. The yeah. Spot it's, it really is perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, man, it's been great listening to stories and getting to know you better. Thanks for having me over. Thank you, Andrew. I, yeah. And I, I appreciate your friendship over the years and yeah. coming out of that 1978 Chevy video. Yeah. Music. Yeah. yeah music it's been showcase. awesome. They, you know, we've been friends since that's, I, I don't even know how many years ago that was I mean, over 10. What's funny is we were going to, me and my then wife were going to fly up and see a show with you and Rhett in, yeah. in wine country. And we, uh, we had like a bed bug infestation and we had to like deal with it. And I remember thinking, man, and you're like, there'll be other shows. And I just finally got to shoot you and Rhett like recently. So it's, yeah. it's cool that we've stayed friends and that you're still doing this and, and I'm doing this. So it's cool. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Andrew. Right on. It's great seeing you. I'd like to thank Salim Nerala for being my guest and letting us use Unstoppable as our theme song. You can hear the Dallas Famous Podcast every week, Sunday at 1 p.m. on Deep Ellen Radio, then again on Tuesday at 1 p.m. And then a couple weeks later, we put them on all the podcast platforms. So check it out. Glad you're here. We'll see you next time. <laughs>